Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we ask if it was the right decision to make Egypt the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations host. And as Mohamed Salah wins a second African Footballer of the Year award, where does he rank among the greatest African footballers? And Stuart looks at Africans playing in Germany, the USA and China. And Nigeria's Odion Igalo tells us how it was playing in China. Before I get a goal, I have to work hard, I have to struggle, I have to come back, fight for the ball. I, I check my work rate there in China. It's more than when I was in the Premier League. That's coming up later. So it's been a good week for Egypt, with the country named as the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations hosts and with Mohamed Salah winning the 2018 Confederation of African Football Player of the Year award. Let's start with the Nations Cup and Egypt beat South Africa by a resounding 16 votes to one at a CAF Executive Committee vote in Senegal on Tuesday. Original host nation Cameroon was stripped of the hosting rights in November because of slow preparations. So Egypt has just five months to prepare for the expanded 24-team tournament kicking off in June. It'll be the fifth time that Egypt has staged the finals. Uh, so Solomon is in South Africa. So what's the feeling there about South Africa losing out to Egypt? Well, Steve, I must tell you that in South Africa, the feeling is very divided. First, uh, we have the feeling of the South African Football Association, which is SAFA, who felt uh, awarding Egypt the right to host uh, is uh, a political move uh, because of South Africa's support for USA-Mexico World Cup and also uh, because of uh, previous history between South Africa and Egypt uh, when they beat it to be the first African country to host it, the World Cup. And also South Africa is uh, not supporting Morocco in their bid for the World Cup. So there is just that feeling amongst uh, some of the football administrators uh, who felt, uh, you know, South Africa has the best in infrastructure in Africa, the best uh, logistics. Uh, everything is ready. Uh, but still they awarded that to Egypt. Uh, but on the flip side, football fans felt that South Africa should not host the uh, AFCON in 2019 because of the cost that is going to cost the nation. And also because uh, Bafana Bafana, the South African national football team, has not been performing very well. And football fans are actually quite excited that uh, you know South Africa is not going to be hosting it. So that's the state of things right here. Very interesting. So a lot of football politics at play and Egypt rewarded for loyalty to CAF by the looks of it. On Facebook, Manasse Mas Kinte says South Africa hosted the Nations Cup not long ago in 2013. So I think CAF made a very good decision by giving it to Egypt. Akin Abudu agrees, but Aliou So says having hosted the World Cup, I think there's no one better to host this new expanded Cup of Nations than South Africa. In my opinion, it's a mistake by CAF, says Aliou. Uh, so, Solomon, uh, as you say, a feeling that this was a political decision, but uh, nonetheless, Egypt is likely to be a good host, would you say? I feel Egypt, outside of South Africa, definitely Egypt has the infrastructures that are ready, the stadiums are ready. They, in their bid, they gave CAF the, the least cost budget for CAF, so I think that was also very enticing. And also, I feel it's definitely going to be a, a great opportunity for Egypt to show that politically and economically, they have turned the corner despite what had happened in the last few years in, in the country. 
Yeah, so it could be a new dawn for football in Egypt, as well as the political unrest there. There was the 2012 football incident where 74 fans died in Port Said when Al-Mazri hosted Al-Athli. Uh, there were restrictions on the numbers of fans allowed to games after that, so it's a chance for Egypt to start a new chapter with Mohamed Salah as their talisman. Let's go to the CAF Awards now and Salah became African Footballer of the Year for a second time at the ceremony in Senegal on Tuesday, beating Liverpool teammate Sadio Mane of Senegal and Arsenal and Gabon striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, exactly the same top three as last year. South Africa forward Tembi Kadlana was named the Women's Player of the Year and she also got the Goal of the Year award. While Salah was also voted BBC African Footballer of the Year for the second time last month, he scored 44 goals for Liverpool during the 2017-2018 season, helping the Reds to the Champions League final before scoring twice for Egypt at the World Cup in Russia. Uh, this season he scored 16 goals in 29 appearances across all competitions for Liverpool. Uh, so a worthy winner, Solomon? Yes, definitely a, a worthy winner, Mohamed Salah. A lot of people thought maybe Salah would be a one-season wonder. He he has been a great example on the pitch and off the pitch. And and he's basically really been, been a great ambassador for African football. And I feel he, he's really a worthy winner. I don't think there's any football fan that will dispute that. So congratulations to Mohamed Salah. OK, so as you say, no dispute that he deserved it, but uh, I was interested to see who Salah ranks alongside now uh, because since CAF took over the African Player of the Year award in 1992, Samuel Eto'o and Yaya Toure have won it four times and then winning it twice are Didier Drogba, El Hadji Jouf and Wanko Kanu and now Salah joins them with two awards. I wonder, can we really place Mohamed Salah up there alongside Drogba, Jouf and Kanu? Yes, I feel we can place uh, Salah right up there. I feel he is definitely at the end of his career. He would look back and we would all look at it and say, look, indeed, this is one of the greatest players to ever come up out of Africa. Having followed African football for, for quite a long time myself, I feel at the end of his career, he definitely going to be in the top five or the top three of the best African football players ever. When your performance for club and for country is very consistent, I feel it's it's a really great way to to evaluate uh, you and put you alongside great players like Didier Drogba, Al Diof, and and Kanu Wanko from Nigeria, and and definitely I, I I see him really you know exhibiting African football in different ways and showcasing it, and definitely going to end up as being one of the greatest football legends to come out of Africa. Well, I'm not so sure that right now we can mention Mohamed Salah alongside Didier Drogba and Wanko Kanu right now. Uh, maybe our Haji Juf, yes, but uh, I think Salah needs to do it for a few more seasons to really rank up there among Africa's best of all time. As you say, probably he will get to the end of his career as one of Africa's all-time greats, but uh, after one and a half seasons at Liverpool, I think Salah still needs to keep it going for quite some time. 
So we're asking for your thoughts on this on social media. Uh, where would you place Salah among Africa's all-time greats? Uh, as he's now won the African Player of the Year award twice, he joins a list of just five other players to have won it more than once. Uh, that's Samuel Eto'o and Yaya Toure, who've taken it four times and winning it twice. Didier Drogba, El Hadji Jouf and Wanko Kanu. So can we place Salah up there alongside Drogba, Jouf and Kanu? Give us your thoughts on Facebook. Uh, that's on Planet Sport Football Africa. Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Let's go to the English Premier League now and after the FA Cup games last weekend it's back to Premier League action and with Manchester City having beaten Liverpool on the third of this month it's game on again with Liverpool's lead reduced to four points. Liverpool away to Brighton on Saturday, Man City hosts Wolves on Monday. Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, Stuart, how much of a blow was that defeat for Liverpool? I think had Liverpool beaten Manchester City, that would certainly have been the end of the race. So from a neutral's point of view, a Manchester City win was ideal, leaving the Premier League still wide open. Liverpool, of course, have that four-point lead with 17 games to go, and that clearly gives them an advantage. Looking at the fixtures to come, Liverpool and Manchester City have both got to play Manchester United at Old Trafford, but both clubs will be at home to all the other top six teams that they have to play. Liverpool at home to Tottenham and Chelsea. Manchester City play Tottenham, Arsenal and Chelsea at home. So on paper, there's not many games where you might expect either of them to drop points. Going back to City's 2-1 win over Liverpool, there really was virtually nothing between the teams. In the first half, Senegal and Liverpool's Sadio Mane hit the inside of the post and the ball was cleared. In the second half, for Manchester City, Leroy Sané shot hit the inside of the post and went in. That was the difference. One thing that did surprise me, Steve, was that Jurgen Klopp opted for a safe midfield of Wijnaldum, Henderson and Milner, leaving Naby Cater, Fabinho and Shaqiri on the bench. So rather than picking his playmakers and trying to win the midfield battle, he seemed to go for the safe option. Both City and Liverpool are still in the Champions League. City are still in the FA Cup, but Liverpool were knocked out by Wolves. Will that make a difference? Will Liverpool's confidence be damaged by losing two games in a row? Or will having less games to play actually help them? I think that Liverpool are desperate to win the league, not having won it since 1990, while Manchester City's priority may be the Champions League this year, a trophy they have never won. So perhaps all that together just keeps Liverpool as favourites. Yes, and I do think that their FA Cup exit is a boost to their Premier League title chances. Well, Manchester United play away to Tottenham on Sunday in the big game of the weekend. A great start for Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but this is his toughest game so far. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has become the first top division manager ever, and that means going back to 1888 to win his first five games in charge by at least a two-goal margin. Of course, you can't say that Cardiff City, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Newcastle and Reading don't represent the toughest competition. But it's what he has done 
in making Manchester United look like Manchester United and to have the players attacking and going forward again that is really noticeable. You know, I joked a few months ago that Manchester United were trying to sell their Paul Pogba and sign the Paul Pogba who played for France in the World Cup. Well, Solskjaer looks as if he has transformed Pogba into the exciting attacking talent that we saw in the World Cup. But as you say, playing away to Tottenham in their next game will be a real test for Manchester United. It certainly is the game of the weekend, and we'll have to see what happens. Um, incidentally, Steve, Manchester United's last four penalties have been scored by four different players, Pogba, Martial, Mata and Lukaku. And that hasn't happened for nearly 20 years. I'm not sure that will really change anything, but uh, can't wait for the game against Tottenham. Interesting. Yes, it should be a great game. How about the bottom of the table, Stuart? Because alarm bells are ringing already for Huddersfield and for Fulham. Well, Huddersfield have now lost their last eight Premier League games and they also lost to Bristol City of the Championship in the FA Cup. Incidentally, it was good to see Benin's Steve Munier scoring for Huddersfield against Burnley. But a big part of Huddersfield's problem this year is they've only scored 13 goals all season. That was Munier's first goal of the season. And remember, he scored seven goals last season. Fulham, on the other hand, have scored 19 goals. But their problem is that they've conceded 47 goals in 21 games. But since Claudio Ranieri has been manager, they've won two and drawn two. And they had lost seven in a row before he came. This coming weekend, Burnley play Fulham and Cardiff City play Huddersfield. That is four of the bottom five against each other. So that will tell us a lot more. And frankly, as you say, Fulham and Huddersfield really need to start winning. So a crucial weekend for them. Let's go back to the FA Cup third round matches last weekend. Uh, that's the stage where the Premier League clubs enter the competition and the smaller teams get a chance of facing them. Uh, here in Zimbabwe, we were excited to see national team right-back Tendai Dariqua playing for Nottingham Forest against Chelsea and giving a good account of himself uh, despite defeat uh, for his championship club. And there were quite a few Africans featuring in other games. Yeah, as you say, Steve, the third round of the FA Cup puts Premier League clubs against clubs from any of the other three divisions or even a semi-professional non-league club like Woking playing against Watford. Partly because the third round of the Cup follows immediately after the busy Christmas period, some of the Premier League clubs do not pick their strongest teams, which explains partly why they lose but also gives fringe players an opportunity to play. And there were a number of shock results with Huddersfield Town, Cardiff City and Leicester City all losing to teams from lower divisions. There were a number of African goal scorers. Among those who scored in the FA Cup third round were Yves Basuma from Mali scoring for Brighton, Alex Iwobi, Nigeria scoring for Arsenal, Jordan Ayew from Ghana for Crystal Palace, and that, incidentally, was his second goal in a week. Riyad Mahrez from Algeria scored for Manchester City. Brit Asambolonga, DR Congo, scored for Middlesbrough. Rashid Gizel from Algeria scored for a defeated Leicester City. And Bakary Sako, Senegal, scored for West Bromwich Albion. And incidentally, it was good to see Peter Crouch featured in the programme last week, getting his first goal since August for Stoke City. 
Manchester City beat Rotherham from the Championship 7-0. And that is the fourth time that Manchester City have scored six or more goals this season in a game. And that hasn't happened since 1932. And with Tottenham beating Tranmere Rover 7-0, it was also the first time for 23 years that two teams scored seven goals in the same round of the FA Cup. Again, just emphasising how superior the top four seem to be to the rest of uh, football at the moment. Steve, you know how football supporters always think that referees favour the home team? Well, in the 22 FA Cup ties played last Saturday, seven penalties were awarded, with all of them going to the home team. Hmm, I wonder. Finally, Steve, with Liverpool playing their FA Cup tie on Monday this week, that means that between the 3rd of September and the 7th of January, Liverpool had played a game and all seven days of the week. Football certainly no longer happens only on a Saturday afternoon. Well, yes, it did uh, back in the day, but uh, not anymore for sure. Uh, thanks, Stuart. Uh, more from Stuart later on as he looks at Africans playing in leagues, including Germany, the USA and China. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now we turn to social media. And last week we mentioned that research from an organisation called the CIES Football Observatory shows that in Europe over the past 10 years there's a decreasing presence of club-trained players and a stronger presence of foreign players at clubs. In other words, teams that can afford it are buying top foreign players and leaving less room for homegrown players. This can be the case with top clubs in Africa too, that they sign the best players rather than developing talent from their youth structures. So we asked how important is it for clubs to train their own players. On Facebook, Baiten Muchiko in Malawi says clubs that develop homegrown players can save a lot of money which is used to buy other top players. But the challenge is that running a club these days has gone commercial where instant results are required. On WhatsApp and Samba Jambo in the Gambia agrees that developing players is vital for clubs, saying I think it's very important because it will save them from spending money every season. Looking at the football market is not easy at all, says Samba. The best that clubs can do is to build their own squads and to put trust in them. That's a good point, Samba, but as Byton said, the challenge is for clubs to be patient when instant results are usually demanded. Efratha Kamanga in Malawi believes that both players and clubs benefit when players are homegrown. When players train for clubs where they have been developed, they love their team, and the team spirit is 100%, says Efratha, and the clubs love those players more than those that they have bought. Lamine Keita in the Gambia makes a similar point. It's more important for a football club to nurture their homegrown players than depend on foreign players for three reasons, says Lamine. Firstly, homegrown players always give their best to their club. Secondly, economically, the club will not use their money to buy expensive players who may not give their heart to the club. And thirdly, homegrown players will have the chance to be exposed to playing at the highest level. Mamadou Lamine Kande, also in the Gambia, highlights the financial aspect, saying it's important for clubs to develop their own players. 
so that they can cut the high spending that we normally see in the transfer windows, especially with the African team, says Mamadou. Most African teams are not that financially strong, so when they train their own local players, that makes all the difference. Bakary Jatta in Milan in Italy takes that point a step further with the view that youth academies can be very successful in developing top players. It's important for every club to develop its own players, says Bakary. Barcelona are dominating Spanish football all thanks to the way they've trained their own youth-level players. The likes of Xavi, Iniesta, Messi, Piquet and so on. So before spending money on new players, I think that African clubs need to redevelop academies in order to produce amazing players. Papa Mbewe in Zambia agrees, saying it's important for clubs to train their own players like Barcelona do. A good example is Lionel Messi, says Papa. Musa K. Turai in the Gambia also pleads for more homegrown development in African football. It's so important to bring up your young players to the team, says Musa. The players you develop will be more efficient and will be used to the system and tactics of the team. For example, look at Barcelona. In the past years, they've hardly brought any players because they have a trust in their own young breeds, which helps them to achieve a lot in Europe. I, for one, believe it's very important and our teams in Africa should start doing it, says Musa. And another who agrees academies are the way forward is Tebi Otieno in Kenya. Clubs should train upcoming footballers at grassroots level, and I believe this will motivate young talents, especially in primary and secondary schools, says Tebi. Francisco Dodoma in Malawi says it's important to train local players because this also strengthens the national teams. And finally, Alhaji Manga in the Gambia says it's very important because it builds more mutual understanding between the coaching staff, the fans and the players, simply because the player has passed through the rank and file of the club. Moreover, the financial cost is always less compared to a foreign player who have to be lodged in a five-star hotel and to be flown abroad for medical treatment, says Al-Haji. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments and a strong agreement there then that it's important to develop homegrown players and to use them in teams, even though that's not the trend with uh, the richest clubs around the world. Well, now to the final part of Stuart's look at Africans playing in Europe and elsewhere around the world. Uh, So far, Stuart has highlighted those in England and France and other popular countries like Belgium. This week, Stuart looks at some more unusual destinations for African players. There are 20 Africans in Germany, and that's less than half the number in the English Premier League. I wonder why that is. And when you look at Schalke with five Africans and Mainz with four, It means that all the other clubs have only 11 in total. But among the 20 is Solomon Kalou from Côte d'Ivoire. He's at Hertha Berlin and has played over 100 games for them. And of course was previously at Chelsea, where he scored lots of goals in his 150 league games there. And there's also Algeria's Nabit Bentaleb at Schalke, uh, who of course played more than 50 games for Tottenham. There are 25 Africans in Switzerland, of whom the best known is Alexander Song from Cameroon, who played for Barcelona and Arsenal, among other clubs in the past. In Austria, there are 18 African players. But what I think is really interesting is that 12 of the 18 are 23 or younger. Take Salzburg, for example, with four 20-year-olds. That's Patson Daka and Enoch Membu from Zambia. Amadou Hadare from Mali and Jerome Onengi from Cameroon. And each of those is just 20. You wonder how four 20-year-olds finish up in Austria. 
In Greece, there are 26 Africans, including four Egyptians. But then I suppose Greece is, in a sense, just across the Mediterranean from Egypt. And when I was preparing this, I was going to talk about Yaya Torre at Olympiakos, but he, of course he has since left the club. The Russian league has a lot more money than it used to have, but currently has only 14 African players, and none of those are what you might call top players. In Romania, in Eastern Europe, there are 28 Africans. The club Dunaria has two Senegalese players, Gaston Mendy, who's played there for 11 years, and a teammate, Midiop, who's been there for six years. And again, I just find it intriguing how two Senegalese players could end up in a small town in Romania. Then there's Richard Gadzi from Ghana, who plays for Voluntari. And he's played professionally in India, Azerbaijan, Finland and Romania in quite a short career. In Ukraine and Eastern Europe, there are six Africans, including Abraham Kani and Najim Yakubu from Mali and Ghana, who are teammates at Vorslika. And they're both 18. And again, you know, I just asked the question, fascinating that two 18-year-olds should finish up playing professionally in Ukraine. Of the 16 Africans in Netherlands, seven are from Morocco, including Nusir Mazoui, Zakaria Labert and Hashim Zek, all at the top club Ajax, of course, still in the Champions League. So good to see a strong African contingent there. Now, in Scandinavia, right at the north of Europe, there are 33 Africans in Norway, 17 in Sweden and 28 in Finland. In Sweden, there are 11 Nigerians with eight clubs having a Nigerian in their team. On the other hand, Ostersunds have three Ghanaians, Patrick Kozul, Frank Arhin and Samuel Minsa. Again, the question I ask is how did three Ghanaians finish up at the same club in Sweden with all those cold winters? And in Norway, 33 Africans and again, 16 Nigerians. Perhaps they too like the skiing or something. One of them, Victor Bembabindia at Sandefjord, has played in Norway for 10 years. He must be used to snow and ice by now. And Lillestrom has three Nigerians, the oldest of whom is 21. And Hagazund has five Africans, three Nigerians, 21 and under, and a 19-year-old from Mali. Again, remarkable how so many young Africans finish up in one of the coldest parts of Northern Europe. In Finland, the Ilves club is a bit of a United Nations with players from Ghana, Cameroon, Senegal, Nigeria and Cote d'Ivoire in their first team squad. Finally, just for comparison purposes, there are 28 Africans in the MLS in USA, including 13 from Ghana. Those include Dominic Adura at San Jose. He's 33, has been in US for 12 years and played over 300 games in the MLS for eight different clubs. And currently, Columbus crew have four Ghanaians, including Alhassan Abukiger and Harrison Afoul, who've each been at that club for four seasons. So again, interesting that Ghanaians seem to go to America and stay for some time. Finally, there are currently 13 Africans in the Chinese Super League, including people we know well like John Obi-Mikel and Brown Aderi, teammates at Tinjan, who both played in England for Chelsea and West Brom, respectively. 
and at Shanghai, there's Dembaba from Senegal, uh, well known to Newcastle United and Chelsea supporters. So it seems wherever you go in the world, you can find an African footballer. Yes, and it uh, is indeed amazing how some Africans are in unlikely destinations. And I guess it shows how advanced the scouting system is these days, with many European clubs having scouting departments with links all around the world. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, Very interesting stuff there. Uh, Let's briefly, finally, take a closer look at football in China. Nigeria striker Odion Igalo is leaving Chinese side Chang Chan Yatai after two seasons with the club, where he scored a lot of goals, 21 in 28 games in the just-ended season, second-highest in the Chinese Super League, but the club was relegated and Igalo's being linked with a move back to the English Premier League, quite possibly to Southampton. Well, we spoke to Igalo. He told us that while some people think that China is an easy option, that's not the case. Yeah, people say that. Even before I went to China, I thought it's going to be so easy, you know. But as I'm telling you, I do more work there more than what I do when I was in Premier League because... You only have three foreign players in a team that can play the match. And the Chinese guys, their level is not up to a foreigner who, who comes there from high league, you know. So you have to make sure you do everything. Before I get a go, I have to work hard, I have to struggle, I have to come back, fight for the ball. I, I check my work rate there in China. It's more than when I was in the Premier League because I do more work now there in China. So it's not that easy like people say it, you know. The league is growing. And a lot of foreign players there, a lot of foreign coaches. So the league is going every day. And like I said, it's not that easy like what people say. It will not be compared with top European league and all that, but it's difficult. Like I said, it's very difficult because I have to bulldoze my way. I have to fight. I have to run. I have to give double of what I was doing back then in Watford before I could get a goal. Insights from Nigeria's Odion Igalo. More from him on next week's show. That's it for this week from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks so much for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.